Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I wanted to talk a little bit today about selling my Sony camera gear. I think I, I really had just bought it maybe a year ago or so when I started transitioning away from the set of lenses I had with Nikon. I sold, sold the set of lenses I had. I sold the Nikon D3 body that I had. And that, that was all in an effort to try and upgrade from uh, equipment that was really sort of circa 2007 to equipment that was circa... 2013 or so. It's definitely a reasonable upgrade and I appreciated doing it for the for the money and sort of, you know, as it goes, I, I tried to invest in it. I got a lot of good stuff. I was working with the Sony a7R for the last year and I've, I've taken a ton of photographs with it. I really like it. It was the first model, however, in the Sony a7 line. Well, I guess, you know, I guess it was the a7, then the a7R, but uh, it was, you know, kind of one of the, the first runs of the, the professional Sony mirrorless camera system. And so I'm interested now in trying to sell this camera body off and then move on to maybe a 2015 or 2016 version of a body or, uh, or maybe even some other camera system. I've kind of been entertaining the idea of trying to check out um, higher quality uh, Canon camera gear and because uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out, uh, you know, a lot of work with uh, a few weddings this year and the wedding stuff, I've really been uh, inclined to, to shoot with a lot of Canon stuff because of how well it handles some of the wedding workflow. I know that's sort of a weird idea. You know, a lot of cameras do a lot of things and definitely the Sony cameras can operate in some significant ways, but had a huge number of problems with slow autofocus and slow reaction to shutter speed. A couple of things to keep in mind when you're working with the older A7R body line. But a ton of great photos in low light. When I did take a picture and it finally did lock focus, it was quite nice a lot of the time. But anytime it was low light, a ton of autofocus seeking, a ton of lag. I missed a bunch of shots. And that's just something I can't really hang with when I'm trying to do uh, higher end weddings. So hoping to try and uh, roll that over this year. And then maybe I can use this for, uh, for a handful of uh, landscape projects or something else, but, uh, but definitely excited to try and sell off some Sony equipment and, uh, sort of interesting, uh, just kind of rolling over the, uh, the, the technology that you use to create a lot of the work that you do. So. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. So last time I was on the podcast, I was talking about knives. I was talking about pocket knives. I was talking about steel. I was talking about different types of steel that you can use in your pocket knife or that pocket knife makers use in the pocket knives that they sell you, I suppose is what I meant. And I kind of wanted to continue on with uh, some of that stuff today. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe the other everyday carry kind of stuff that comes around that I've been thinking about a little bit too. But I was thinking about um, the couple knives that I have. So I was kind of going deep into like, well, there's this type of steel, and there's this type of steel, and this doesn't rust, and this is hard, and whatever that is. But I was going to kind of jump in and just kind of go to the knives that I have. So I mentioned... The Gerber Gator. I was going to mention three knives. I think that would be good. These are kind of the three that I'm into right now. But um, I was going to mention the Gerber Gator. That's that uh, like three and a half inch blade. You can get that real inexpensive. It's probably like 40 bucks tops at most places. I picked mine up at Bymart a couple years ago. It's held up great. The coating on it is sort of a rubberized coating. That's held up great with the ozone stuff. And they probably wear out over a number of years. That's really fine with me. And uh, it's a sharp knife. It's D2 steel. It works really well 
for most of the stuff that I do, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of my cutting around knife. So I have it in my, uh, my side pocket when I'm doing some outdoor stuff. I can kind of carve on a tree. I can chop on some stuff. I can put a, you know, like put an X in a tree when I'm marking my campsite or something like that. It's fun. I can kind of chop up a whatever if I need to. I can open a box. I can do all those kind of things. And I feel pretty good about its length and its use and its durability in the outdoors. Um, so that one I kind of carry on me when I'm doing a little bit more outdoorsy stuff. I'm actually kind of going out for a bit. But that's sort of the in-the-pocket knife. And really when it extends, it's about eight inches. And it's got like a pretty solid bit of grip to it so it really feels like there's something in your hand and it really feels like there's a big thing in your pocket too so that's kind of why i only carry it around when i'm actually kind of stepping out into into doing some real camping stuff but the thing that i have with me every day now is this little um uh, like two and a half inch or two and a quarter inch uh spider coat knife i really like this one there's some smaller ones there's some bigger ones uh they're all kind of like a basic design they've got uh, sort of a i guess like a a broad shaped blade this one's kind of that uh it's not a scandy blade i think it's a flat grind and then uh, spydeco sort of known for these big finger holes or you know like on the blade there's like this big uh, circular hole that you kind of put your thumb into and use that to kind of whip out the blade as you're uh, you're unfolding and this has got that locking back design uh so does that gerber gator too i like that locking back folding design and then um in addition to that i've got a really inexpensive full tang knife that I use for some of that uh, batoning, kind of whacking around stuff. And that I keep uh, over in an ammo can that I have in my truck here. When I'm out camping and stuff, then uh, maybe I'll throw that onto a, a backpack uh, clip on the side so that I have it there. But that's like a full thing. Um, I think it's a four-inch blade with about a four-inch handle, four-inch usable handle. It's probably a little more than that. but So it, en- it ends up being about nine inches or so. And it's kind of based off the the uh the sa5p knife i think is what it would be Uh, you can look that one up cool knives i really like those that's actually one i want to get in the future this is sort of like a chinese knockoff version of that so i'll kind of break out the prices in a little bit but um, but yeah if you look up those knives they're like the rat three i think it's kind of pretty similar in style to that Um, but this one's made by sema sema is a chinese company i don't know if they even really exist as anything more than that, but I found them online. I found them on Amazon. They have a few different cheap knife options. As it's printed on the blade, they use a, a higher end steel, at least in comparison at its price point. So I think this blade that I have is a 7CR uh, blade, which is okay, uh, but it was like $20 for this full tang knife. And that's really a lot with a micarta handle um, and a sheath, like a Kydex sheath. So it's a great knife to kind of keep in the side over here. I've been using it like when I was saying I go out on those chanterelle picking days. You know, I have like a, I have a camera bag on my side. I've emptied the camera out of it, and then I've got like a, just like a little shopping bag, like a little plastic sack in there. And then as I'm walking around in the forest and stuff, I've I got that full tang knife. I'll pop that out uh, as I find a chanterelle. I'll cut the base of it and then throw it in my bag pop the knife back in and then kind of carry on. So I've been using it for like a lot of like kind of basic harvesting stuff like that. This just kind of been easy, uh, easy side access and stuff for me while I've been, uh, been kind of hunting around doing some foraging stuff, but really a lot of the time it stays in the car and it works really well. And for that kind of a knife and kind of for as often as I've been using it for some stuff, it's sort of like a cool camp knife to kind of like whittle on stuff, you know, or, you know, kind of like dig in, whittle on stuff, whack on stuff. That's sort of the bushcrafting knife. Like last time I was talking about bushcrafting, you know, like batoning through 
a one inch or a two inch stick or something like that. Um, trying to make a, uh, what is it, like a tent or a tarp hanger, like an A-frame for a tarp or a frame for like boiling water or I don't know, getting stuff ready for your fire or whatever. It is. And mostly I just kind of use it to like whack up smaller uh, kindling sticks for firewood or feather sticks. Feather sticks are cool. I don't really think that this bushcrafting knife is, has really been sharp enough for it. I kind of like the Spyderco knife a little bit more for some of the smaller uh, smaller feathering stuff but uh but when you really have like a sharp blade it makes it so much easier sharpening something i want to get into too but for these feather sticks it's cool you get like a piece of kindling right like just kind of a long like foot-long piece of dry wood that's sort of an inch or half inch thick around maybe a little thicker than that and then what you do is uh it takes a lot of skill to kind of get used to but you do this uh this kind of long and thin carve like if you were like grating if you're going to like grate just like a, a little fillet off of that one inch round stick and then you got all the way down to the end of the stick, like the last like inch or centimeter, and then you pulled up on your cut and then left that little last bit there. And what you get, if you get it thin enough, is that wood will kind of naturally curl up like a little piece of ribbon or something, but it'll kind of curl up and it's going to be this dry, thin wisp of wood that's sort of curled up at the end of your branch there and then it holds there and then you repeat that cut another nice thin thin little paper thin uh carve of wood off down to the bottom down to the last centimeter leave it there and then you sort of work your way around the whole stick there and then you kind of work around again a layer up and as you do that if you put enough time into it and it really does take a good bit of processing but if you do that um, you can make out in the woods you can make these feather sticks which are kind of cool. A lot of the time, you have the tools on you to build a fire or to build a heat source without going into this much labor to try and produce some sort of tool to facilitate this for you. But it is cool to know about if you're working in some conditions that are a little bit more difficult to get a fire going. But you get these uh, these feather sticks set up. You probably have to get a handful of them. And then once you get your kindling set up, you can lay that. You can get your, your kindling or well, you can get just your, your starter going. If you're able to like use like um, one of those fire rods, those ferro rods, you're able to strike that with your knife, throw the sparks down onto whatever you have as your fire starter. If you can get that to, to kindle up into a flame, then you put these feather sticks right over it. And then you're able to, because you've kind of cut those, those fillets down into it, the, the air is able to get in between the cuts of the wood that are so thin there. And as it's dry wood, it'll catch fire quickly. The sap in the wood will burn, and then it'll really take off almost like it's a piece of paper. But it has that sustaining quality of being a real piece of wood. So you get a flame, and you get some embers to start burning off of it. And that's a good way to get a flame to build up quickly. Then you're able to also have the kind of thicker pieces of wood attached to it there. So you're able to get kind of the stronger build of the kindling a little earlier on. It's kind of a cool way to do it, but I think really in a lot of ways, Man, it's a lot of uh, preparatory work to get those uh, those pieces ready if you're trying to build a fire in sort of a mobile situation. You know, if you're kind of setting up a base camp or setting up some some sort of uh, you know location where you're going to be you're going to be, and that's where your stuff is. And for whatever reason, you didn't bring any technical gear with you. That might be something that you run into to try and do. Or if you're trying to set up a fire in conditions that are wet or like a little bit damp or uh, in some way, uh, you know, more challenging to get a fire going. I think these are, these are kind of good ways to do that if you're stuck. But really the trick is to not get stuck. And I think like that's kind of the big thing of a lot of the wilderness stuff that I've learned is that um, 
there's sort of man, I don't know, there's a couple channels of it. There's a, a whole bunch of stuff that you'd kind of think to worry about. Uh, as you know, like I need to start a fire, and then there's sort of a, a whole complicated series of things you can do to to naturally start a fire if you want to go down that route. Good skills to have, good things to learn about. Then there's also sort of another route where uh, you know about the modern world, you know about some of the tools you can get a hold of, and you can kind of cut down the time and the weight and the expense or the expense on yourself that it takes, the resources that you have to give up to get a fire going, to get a thing going when you're out in the woods. And if you're kind of uh, traveling light and trying to travel fast and uh, not really staying in the same locations a lot, it's almost a greater expense of your energy and time to try and build a camp with wood and a knife every time you get somewhere than it is to just have a couple pieces that you can uh, bring in and then utilize quickly and then in a clean way you can kind of pull out you don't really risk injury or risk any loss of time and you get kind of a lot of the benefit out of it a one i guess or kind of particularly dropping into that would be like a jet boil or uh, specifically for fire starting stuff i guess that's what kind of stay in there jet boil is sort of one of the fancier ends of that really the most simple way is get cotton swabs and scoop up a bunch of petroleum jelly you know like vaseline that kind of stuff you can test this before you go out too but because uh, some things are like a little different um, but the petroleum jelly i think is supposed to light up pretty well so if you have a cotton ball and a little petroleum jelly. One, it's a cosmetic, so you can use that as like a lip balm if you go out, which is something that I've been wrecked with before when I go out to, to um, kind of quickly changing drier or higher elevation or colder climates than, uh, than what my skin and pores were kind of used to before. Man, I get burns and stuff in the cold. It's weird how that can be. Or chaps, you know, like chapped lips, split lips, that sort of stuff. But the Vaseline can help a lot for that. But if you have like a little Ziploc bag and some Vaseline, uh, cotton swabs, and then just like a regular pocket lighter. You can light those up as your fire starter real easy without having to hunt down dry moss and bark on the south side of a tree out in the woods somewhere while you're uh, cold and trying to get a fire going. So you kind of pop one of these out. You hit that with your lighter or you hit that with your ferro rod if you don't have a lighter. But really, I say bring the lighter. You have the, you have the flint with you if you need it. You got the butane. You can have a ferro rod as a backup if you feel like it. But for a lot of the kind of lighter, just a few day kind of things, it's tricky, man, if you get a lighter that goes bad. But I haven't really heard of uh, like hunters or kind of longer term, 14 plus day outdoorsmen uh, going out with things that are way different than even just like a regular Bic lighter. The uh, the ferro rods are cool, though. They they seem to help a lot. But I think there's some some cool stuff that you can do. Or there's the reliability of a lighter that I've had for a long time is, uh, has kind of always helped me out or been fine for a lot of the stuff that I've done for the uh, shorter periods of time that I've been out. But yeah, if you can hit that fire starter and then put that under um, some kindling and stuff, you can get a fire going pretty easy. In a lot of ways, I haven't really jumped into doing a lot of uh, cold weather camping this year or cold weather kind of remote camping. But the man, having a fire is great. But also sometimes not having a fire is uh, sort of the way to go too. Like I've been talking about, I've been using a um, like this uh, portable propane heater with me a lot of the time and that's a lot lighter and a lot cleaner for some of the more simple stuff that you want like a little fire or a little heat source from like if uh if i'm going fishing down at the bank of a lake and uh, this has kind of come up uh just like a week or so ago when i went out to a spot but um but yeah you're fishing down by the side of a lake you want some heat there or something uh and it's kind of nice like if you want to <laughs> catch a fish throw a uh, throw a cast iron skill down and like uh you know make it up there on the side of the bank but um but if uh if you're out 
and yeah, just kind of carrying that real light kind of two pound or I don't know, three or four pound, um, little box down with you, hooking the propane up to it. And then, yeah, boom, you got heater right there. You're throwing your cast and, uh, you can kind of, kind of manage, uh, temperatures that go down a lot more. So it makes, uh, just kind of those simple things a lot more comfortable. That's sort of for the car camping based stuff. I wouldn't really ever pack that out with me, but, uh, but even for when I'm packing out, I sort of noticed that if I go with a lighter bit of stuff, it, it really ends up being okay a lot of the time. So, uh, sometimes it's cool, especially at night to have the big fire and stuff, but even for like a lot of the cooking stuff that I do or a lot of the midday stuff that I do, if I'm taking a break, I really want to just pull out the jet boil from my backpack, throw the fuel canister on it, fill that uh, can up with water, make a tea or make a coffee or something like that, or make a soup or, you know, whatever, uh, kind of, kind of backpacking meal might be in there. Um, that, that kind of a thing is like, or, and even just like as the jet boil is like a, a source of heat is pretty cool. And then if you have the, the, the dry wood and kindling sources around you can use that um as a as a fire starter tool too but uh which i've happened a couple times that's kind of an off label use that i don't i don't really recommend and stuff but uh but even just yeah having a quick uh little jet boil punch that on get some water hot heat up your hands and stuff and then kind of rely on your jackets and your your uh, waterproof gear to keep you warm through at least most of the daylight hours and stuff but um, that's kind of kind of how I've tried to to avoid some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, the knife stuff has been pretty cool. I like uh, yeah working with that Gator, the uh, Spiderco Dragonfly is kind of a smaller pocket knife every day, and then uh, yeah that bigger Sema knife has been pretty cool. Been uh, been digging that for some of the bigger uh, kind of bushcrafting stuff that I got to do. Um, sharpeners sharpeners are pretty important i dig sharpening uh i also don't sharpen very much and so that's kind of one of the things is i'm sort of uh probably most notably a uh, an irresponsible knife uh owner at least in the sense of uh trying to keep them sharp so i'm normally more likely to just buy a new 15 dollar knife you know I go from one knife to the next knife to the next knife to the next knife as uh, as i notice that the blade on it goes dull you know like i buy I've, that's how it was for the longest time especially kind of early on is you know i kind of afford uh, a cheaper knife that was cool i thought at the time i didn't really know much about it but you know like, hey this is great it's a it's a step up from my my victor Knox that i used to carry around so this is cool uh, you know, easy folding blade knife or whatever it is, I'll use this. And then by the time it gets dull or it gets kind of shaky in the handle or whatever it is, I end up just kind of tossing the knife and I don't even really ever worry about tooling the knife or sharpening the blade in the knife. And really a lot of the time it's not been a, a quality enough blade to really bother to invest that much into. So in some parts that's my fault from the very beginning. But the thing I'm trying to do now more responsibly is even if it is like a less expensive knife, try and tool that knife to keep it in good shape, but also kind of select a knife that's going to be a fine knife for a longer period of time. I don't think they all have to be brilliant, you know, uh, state of the art knives. You know, there's like 30 or 40 year old buck knives that are made out of 316 steel that people have had around as their hunting knives forever. So I think that's really cool. And that's sort of that thing I was talking about a bit Last time on the podcast, I'll bring it up again this time too. A knife is really a cutting tool. You know, it's supposed to be just like a sharp blade. And so um, so it's cool to kind of use that as just that tool and, and kind of work that uh, that blade down to be a sharp piece for you when you're out in the woods and stuff. But for a lot of the time, um, if it's not like a specialized knife that I'm using for like something a little bit more specific that I'm trying to bring it in for, um, and it's just kind of my cutting around knife, it really ends up cutting on a lot of stuff which could be sticks or wood or uh, it's just sort of like a tool knife that I use to, you know, like cut fishing line or 
or wrap up rope or get something ready on the truck or get something rigged up on my backpack or, um, or whatever it is, you know? Um, so it's kind of like a, a lot of occupancy and that puts a lot of like wear and damage on the blade. And for as little as I'm saying, I sharpen it. The blade is really often pretty dull. Like, I don't know if it's really like prepped to just do a, an easy, uh, slice through of a lot of stuff or we really like take advantage of that cutting edge on it so uh so yeah sharpening stuff is cool there's a couple of brands that do sharpenings uh, out there you can get them in a lot of places i think the one that i see often is smith's as a sharpener they do a lot of kitchen stuff they do a lot of pocket knife stuff you can get them at walmart you can get them at bimart i'm pretty sure the one i prefer though is the brand work sharp work sharp you can find in a lot of places too they're available online also and if you're an oregonian I think it's a company based out of Ashland, Oregon. I had no idea until I was looking at their pamphlet and trying to figure out which pieces I should get. But uh, WorkSharp, they have a, a number of different sharpening tools. And I guess the reason I kind of elevate them above the Smith stuff, at least for, uh, for some of the things that I'm kind of interested in, uh, their, their tools are just like uh, similarly priced, but like a little bit more robust on the, on the WorkSharp side. So specifically is this, uh, this electric belt sharpener that I'm looking at. Um, that sharpener has uh, way more flexibility, way more robustness, way higher horsepower, uh, just kind of machining to it. The other Smith's kind of knockoff version of it is much more limited, much thinner component pieces, uh, kind of plastic component pieces. Nowhere near the same kind of quality or longevity would be expected in that as like a, a tool. This other piece is sort of like, oh, that's like a, you know, that's like a power tool is sort of what you're looking at there. Also, in addition to that, the WorkSharp stuff has a, uh, I guess it's like a sharpening bench, you would call it. I think it's like a, a field sharpener. I'm actually pretty interested in this, but uh, I think it's a, a field sharpening piece. It's sort of like a little flat piece that you'd uh, you bring with you in your, your backpack or in your truck when you're going out on a trip, and you'd have it in your camp or you'd have it with you and uh, to sharpen up a knife. And it really takes more time than I thought it did. You know, you kind of look at a, a quick video or something, and you look at a guy kind of do eight quick whacks on a sharpener, and then, yep, yeah, there you go cutting the hair off my arm in no time. But really for a lot of this stuff, after I've kind of beat on a knife for a bit, it takes like a half hour to kind of work the two sides of a knife on a whetstone and grind it down with an electric sharpener. Man, it's like, you know, a pass, two passes or whatever. It just kind of re reangles that, that grind immediately. Um, but if you're just kind of rubbing that blade against the stone, it takes a long time to, to sort of work in the sharpness to it. Um, you know, and really level up that knife to a, a higher level. But, uh, but yeah, this work sharp, um, uh, sharpening bench is pretty cool. It's kind of a little, a little platform. It's got these angle guides on it. So you can put the knife on that angle and then cut across that flat surface, uh, and then kind of put the right angle grind in on your, uh, your cutting knife. Then on the side of it, I think it has like a, a ceramic alignment rod. You probably seen those in your kitchen or something too. You know, you, you run your kitchen knife or you've seen a chef or something before they, they get going on a piece of meat or their vegetables or whatever. You see a little chef video and they'll kind of run the, their chef knife across this, uh, this sort of solid rod that they put down to the table and they'll shrink, 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 shrink. And then they, they align the blade by kind of coming in on the right cut and then the left cut of the blade from the, I guess from the hilt. Is that by your, the top of your hand there when you grab it, but sort of from the hilt end to the point, you and then, uh, you kind of, I guess it pushes the atoms, it pushes the blade, you know, whatever little uh, kind of microscopic warbles you'd have, those little meanders that you'd have and what you'd want it to be a real straight, fine, aligned uh, blade there. I guess those kind of, those kind of quick 
slices on that piece of steel, they align that and then bring that into a sharper piece. There's also like a leather strop. I never got into leather, leather strop. I should probably. That's sort of a part of it I, I really don't understand yet um, of like working the leather strop. I've seen people use their belts. Uh, that sort of made the most sense to me if uh, you have that around. But really, like as a, as a thing I'm going to bring out back with me, I haven't really brought that back out. But uh, but yeah, you run the knife backside across the leather, and that's supposed to, I guess, do even more to sharpen it. But at a point, it's like, man, that must be some sh- sharp knife. Have you seen the, the test though, like that? You know, where they put it up to their arm hair. Or, you know, like guys do that a lot. I've seen chefs do that. But they'll put it up to their hair, and then they'll kind of do just a real light little just hardly wisping across the, the hairs that stand up on the wrist. And if the knife blade is easily able to just kind of cut right through that without a real hesitation or kind of bending it over or knocking it down and then dragging it out, that's supposed to be a sharp knife. That's like your, your Lippmann's test for it. It's almost razor sharp. That's what it seems like, you know, sharp enough to shave with, it seems. So um, <laughs> I've seen people like work their axes down to that sharpness, right? You see people with a an axe head and they'll grind that down to such a sharpness that they can take take that axe and cut the hairs off their wrist or i guess shave off their face with their hatchet you know that's a little more uh that's a little more lumberjack than i'm willing to do i'm kind of just hanging out trying to take some pictures trying to stay warm trying to keep the heat going trying to keep my knife sharp so kind of cool stuff but uh yeah thanks for talking about knives and sharpening You can check out more information at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can go to BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. I've been, um, I've been really interested in um, the Alexa. Well, I guess just the Alexa platform and then some of the stuff that I might be able to do trying to produce um, flash briefings for the, um, the echo system. I think there's a there's a an echo behind me that just woke up when I said that, but um, uh, using a echo to develop a flash briefing, I think is a, kind of an interesting way to produce some audio content. I think that's something that I might be able to do in an easy way. I, or you know, I have a lot of the equipment in in a, in a higher order working way than maybe a lot of people do. So there's an opportunity for me to just make a whole rundown of different uh, themes of content that I need to produce for the channel. And then uh, there'd probably be a significant amount of, um, of traction that I could get with, uh, with trying to put something out there early on. You know, I wonder if you guys think about this. I try and think about, you know, little silly ways to make money and I never actually do any of them. So uh, I'm, I'm on the right path, I suppose. But uh, I was thinking about, uh, well, I was looking at the Amazon Alexa developer portal. I was going through there today, and there's a lot that you can get into, and especially if you're uh, like a skilled developer, you have a, you have a background in some of the programming languages languages that uh, that you can use in the command line that Amazon has available for you. There's a, there's really a, a lot that you can do, especially a lot that you can do outside of even the Echo platform. Um, so I'm sure that there's you know there's just like an endless amount of, uh, of virtualizations that you can do uh, once you get involved with that. But for the Alexa platform, it was kind of interesting. What I was trying to do. And, you know, since I don't really have like a ton of coding, well, I, 
I don't, I don't I, because I don't have a ton of coding skill. I'm most interested in trying to put together uh, some of the flash briefing systems, which really seems like uh, you just you, you kind of go through the system one time, which is almost really just filling out a form if you haven't done it before. But, you know, not many people have. But um, if you haven't developed a flash briefing, it was really just like filling out a form. It wasn't really a significant or there was no code. There was no open a command line or build a file or, or, or have any kind of assets available for something in advance of, of you know, what you would need to develop. It really isn't any of that. It's just uh, on, you know, on the website or on, wherever I'm developing my feed, there has to be like a, a handful of stipulations met. But but that's not really much more than what you'd have for any other kind of, um, you know, system where you're hosting and processing and serving a, an audio feed. Um, and for my circumstances, I'm not collecting any information or any payment uh, processing. So I think it's a lot simpler of just kind of having the audio feed from RSS go into something that's, you know, pre-selected to serve that from the Alexa s system. And uh, that's kind of an interesting method of using it. I don't use the flash briefing system really as much as I thought I would. Um, and I guess kind of day to day, it's because uh, maybe it's the, like the type of content that I seem to be able to run into. It's just sort of a lot of street stuff from Wall Street Journal. And it doesn't really seem to be very relevant or, or really truly what like the headline news would be. If I really needed to hear something in audio this hour, would it be that? I don't really know. So it doesn't quite seem like it, but uh, that's probably some kind of level of content issue I'm going to run into also. And maybe this is just my personal situation of it maybe not being like a, a time kind of thing that, that I'm able to do. But, um, but what I'm interested in trying to do, I guess, is take advantage of the, all the people that might be trying to use their ecosystem a little bit more. And um, yeah, try and kind of participate in that and try and be one of the voices that is served on the ecosystem. I was impressed uh, a while back when we were doing some testing with the Alexa platform. And uh, when we were, were checking out uh, with like the, we, we were putting together a, a, an astronomy based um, like sky watching um, Alexa flash briefing. And it was kind of interesting uh, trying to put that together. I liked it a lot. Uh, see, there it goes. Alexa, stop. <laughs> um, so uh, when I was trying to put together those flash briefings, uh, it was interesting to see the real spike in traffic that was there. And so, you know, I don't really have a draw of traffic as it is at all. I'm not sure if it was all just spam or, or some kind of weird artificial server tra traffic I was getting once I, I submitted it to Amazon. But uh, there was hundreds of, of, I don't know, markers of activity on that on that file and that feed. And uh, it, was, it was far more like uh, multiples of anything that I had seen from, from the iTunes podcast system in, uh, in, in my time setting up podcasts in, in the time past. So uh, it was interesting to see just that kind of like uh, rush in of um, things or I guess people or I guess, uh, I guess echo systems that had um, cued or triggered the, the feed that I had. So it was kind of interesting uh, seeing some of the analytics behind that. But that's a, a part of what makes me want to get into this type of content a lot more. The other part is that I'm trying to get more into podcasting. I have, I have some other um, some other kind of podcasting uh, things that I have to be working on in the next couple of weeks and months. And so I'm really trying to get into kind of the audio side of stuff and do a little bit more of the audio editing. And, um, you know, I've been thinking about it a little bit too in terms of, I guess, I don't know what you produce in a podcast. I think this is fine, fun, and uh, and this probably fulfills a lot of the stuff that I would listen to a podcast for. Eh, you know, so you know, thanks guys, thanks for listening to this. I understand, I get it. But to talk to that point, I guess a little bit of what I mean is that uh, uh, 
you need a podcast to be useful. You, you want some of the information that you're hearing for a bit of time to be uh, to be useful or to be you know entertaining or somewhat informative or uh, some kind of level of a hang. I don't know. That's what I listen to a lot of podcasts for. I guess they're not really like hyper hyper informational or you know, there's not like a ton of specific data points to get to a lot. I've learned a lot. You know, it's it's um, a type of communication platform that seems to service my learning a lot better than. Uh, whatever type of articulation seems to happen more clearly in an audiobook, that's a little bit harder for me to wrap into than what it is with uh, the more natural flow, pause, and then pacing of a of a of a conversation or or just of a person you know talking or or um, trying to trying to talk off the top of their head. Um, I guess like uh, professors do do that, or you know teachers would do that when someone's lecturing. Which I hope this is not quite a lecture. I have nothing to teach you or nothing. There's nothing you can learn from me. That's probably that's probably the truth. I'd, I'd try it though, um, but uh, but yeah, I guess for uh, for photo stuff that's going on, well, I don't know. What was I talking about? No, it was Alexa stuff, right? I haven't even gotten the photo stuff. For the Alexa stuff, what I've done is I produced a Billy Newman photo flash briefing uh, to go on to the Amazon Echo platform. I'm, watching my words more carefully now. Um, and I'm also uh, trying to put together uh, some of the other uh, podcast ideas that I'd had in the past, something around uh, media and technology. I'm trying to put something together um, around astronomy and sky watching. I'm trying to put something together to, there also. And I'm also trying to figure out uh, some stuff around, I guess, photography specifically, and then um, outdoor camping travel adventure stuff specifically. So I'm going to try and find some names that, uh, that might be useful for that kind of thing and i'm gonna see if uh if i can try and put that together but um but yeah it'd be kind of fun i'm uh, i'm looking forward to trying to try and get some traction on uh building out some content on the alexa platform stuff thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the billy newman photo podcast hope you guys check out some stuff on billynewmanphoto.com a few new things up there some stuff on the homepage. some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at billynewmanaphoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.